right, Tony, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Ty, you ready? Ah. <laughs> All right, brother. Time out. Tyler, who the heck are we taking the time out with today? Kevin, long time no see, buddy. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are taking home with us Anthony DiTucci, a McQuaid grad, St. John Fisher grad, and now the president and COO of Livingston Associates. Uh, Anthony DiTucci, thanks for being on the show. And we always start out with food, man. Uh, so if you're taking Kevin and I out to lunch today, not dinner, but lunch, and preferably a sandwich, where is Anthony DiTucci taking us? I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'd have to say Tony D's, right? I mean, for me, it's got to be Tony D's. But no, honestly, like I'm more, I'm more of a breakfast guy. Uh, I'm more of like a, a diner guy in particular. I love breakfast food, and I usually start my meetings or my mornings early, so I go to meetings with people. And pretty much any Greasy Spoon diner in Rochester, I am a fan of. And if I can get there, if you tell me you want to meet me, and I haven't been to that one, I'm, I'm probably going to go out of my way to to meet you there. So. That's, is, is, I can rattle off half a dozen of them that I've been to just in the last two weeks. So <laughs> I'm a big fan. Is Jim still open up there? Jim's on Main. Heck yeah. Jim's that on Main. That's probably my ultimate. I think Kevin took me to one up there. He said they had biscuits and gravy, man. And I was like, yeah, right, dude. Yeah. Where are we at? I think it was on the side of Greece, if I'm not yep. mistaken, Kevin. Yep, yep, yep. This is not not Arkansas style biscuits and gravy. It's the, obviously the New York style, but right. yeah. So Tony, we're sitting at that favorite diner spot. Uh, I think where I took Tyler was Mel's Diner out in Greece. Uh, but uh, if we if we can invite three other people, living or dead, um, who else are you having sitting down at that table with us for that greasy spoon meal? <laughs> that's a good. That's a good question. I don't know if I can get to three. Um, I mean, I got to invite you two guys, right? So oh, does that count for two? No, nope, no, nope, that doesn't count for two. No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Living or dead? You know, I guess my, my father has always been a huge role model and he's my best friend. I, I'd bring my dad pretty much wherever I could. Awesome. Uh, so I'd bring my dad. I'd probably bring uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and... Uh, I don't know, Jesus. I guess I wow. guess those would be my That's three. a pretty darn honest conversation right there. That we're gonna get down to some meat and potatoes. We're gonna figure out what the heck yeah. is going on in this world. <laughs> I I love it. And then I try to shut up and listen because yeah. you know, I'm just sit back and ask questions. Yeah, I, I I don't have the most important things to say in that conversation. So. <laughs> it's always a good feeling when you're surrounding yourself with the folks like that. You know, yeah. it's just like Kevin yeah. and I have been, and that's where Kevin and I are at today with you, Anthony. It's kind of like well, we have a president and COO on, on the horn. Let's <laughs> shut up for a little bit, Kevin and Tyler, and listen to what they got to say. You know, maybe we'll learn something here and there. Uh, but but I help you then. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, Anthony, uh, just you know, your road to being a president. You know, can you kind of tell us where it all started, um, and and also kind of pinpoint when you knew you were going to be a president of a company is always what I'm after. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I don't know when it really started. You know, I got into the construction industry at a really young age, going to work with my father. And um, I tell people, you know, I just wasn't smart enough to stop going once I started to drive myself. I, you know, I, I kept going and, and did this for a long time. I don't know, you know, if I ever really aspired to be president. I think uh, being able to have an impact on an organization is really what I was striving after. And that, that, probably started at a really early age. You know, I, I felt, uh, you know, maybe it was because of all the, the trips to and from work with my father and having conversations as a young man, uh, you know, trying to see, you know, how, how the world worked, but uh, really just trying to figure out how to have an impact. And, and at that age going, you know, having a vision for, for where some place is going, 
how to communicate that vision to people in a way that gets them excited and, and showing them what, what part they can play in it. Uh, you know, and being able to do those three things makes work pretty rewarding. So like I said, whatever role it is to play, I guess knowing, like I said, even, you know, late teens, early twenties that I wanted to be able to go to work and help contribute in a meaningful way to having an impact on the organization, not just like on a project or per assignment, but just going like, how, how does this place, you know, grow and thrive? So that it really started, you know, pretty much, you know, from, like I said, those trips with my dad and, and, and watching how organizations work at a really young age. That's really cool. And we just celebrated. I mean, I, I had to ask my wife when Father Day, Father's Day was, um, but uh, celebrated my first official, got that one in the books. Um, he's, uh, we're also celebrating his first birthday. So I didn't kill him within the first or break him within that first year. Congratulations on that. Always a pat on the back. Right. Um, but I kind of was self-reflecting, um, Tony, and I wanted to kind of dive into your relationship with your dad. Um, but as I was thinking on father's day, how lucky I was to actually have a father, right. And, to, to grow up in a scenario without that, that strong male model, um, how lucky or how, how grateful I was to, to grow up in that environment, but also being aware that not everybody has that luxury and not everybody um, has those same um, relationships even. Right. Um, but talking about your relationship with your father, it sounds like you guys spent a, and still continue to spend a lot of time with one another. Um, but I wanted to ask, like, what was the greatest lesson that you think your father taught you? Um, and how are you applying that in leadership today? That's a good... Uh... There's so many lessons. Like I said, it's a good question, but it's hard to answer with just one. I mean, I find myself as I get older and get into, you know, similar position to where he was at when I was riding around with him as a kid, um, saying more and more of the things that, you know, he would say or do. Um, You know, he talked a lot about uh, being prepared and having attention to detail. Uh, More than anything, I think he just talked about treating people with respect and um, recognizing that, uh, you know, people are really the things that make the difference. You can have, you know, a ton of process or a great idea or whatever, but at the end of the day, you know, execution and culture and all those things really come down to the people that you surround yourself with and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, finding talented people and honoring them and, and uh, making, you know, everybody feel like they're on a journey together. And, and a lot of that just has to do with how you treat people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and we're super cognizant and aware of this now, and uh, yeah. and I love that. I mean, it's funny to I catch myself too, just like those I forget if it's Prudential or Allstate commercials, where it's like you're you're turning more into your father as time <laughs> goes on. It's it's amazing how accurate that commercial really is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very depressing, but it's it is. It's like yeah. shit. My mom used to say that. <laughs> Dude, my dad always used to drive down to the lake to see to see how high the water was. You know, I'd always be like, Dad, dude, I don't want to see how high the water is. Dude, first thing I got did when I got here from Texas the other day, I drove to the lake to see how high the water was. You know, <laughs> I was like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. <laughs> but that's awesome. You learned learned a ton from your, your your father, Anthony. It sounds like you know a, a heck of a guy, and I love I love you know the being prepared and the attention to detail, and especially treating people right. You know, uh, you know it seems so simple. You know, and, and I think, you know, it, you know, I'm about to be a dad come December 25th, it looks like. And I think I'm going to you know, kind of tell, thanks. And I'm going to tell my kid, you know, like, if you start from day one with your network and treating people right, you're not going to have to search for people to network with. You know, you're going to have a bundle of people. And I grew up with a few folks like that around here in Arkansas. And I always wondered, I was like, why are they being so nice? I wasn't a jerk or anything, but they were like extra 
you know, you know, careful about their relationships. And it was, it was from their parents, you know, right. um, kind of passed down. And uh, Anthony, if you had any, any father tips for me coming up my way, man, what, what, what do you got for me, dude? Oh man. Uh, patience, patience is a big one. And, and I would say when, when in doubt, say nothing. <laughs> a good one. And, and honestly, I, I would say uh, it's kind of like we were just talking about before, treat people well, honestly, like, you know, I, I think uh, I've got five kids, so and they're all between 10 and three. So um, it's not hard to, you know, either get frustrated or stressed out or whatever. Um, I, I do a lot of biting my tongue or taking a deep breath. And if I do have to say something, you know, I, I try to Instead, instead of expressing anger or frustration, turn it into a lesson or a coaching moment or, you know, and, and it's, you know, like I said, as cheesy as it sounds, try, trying to end it with a hug or a high five or, you know, something that's like, hey, you know, do, do you get it? And, uh, you know, are, are we good going forward? So, yeah. and just, it's not, I mean, that's emotional intelligence, you know, and, and looking at potential failure or, or mistakes and, and trying to coach. I love how you said lessons. And, and I guess, how do you bring that over into to your day job, right? Um, how have you found the most effective ways to kind of take those teachable moments and, and almost encourage your team to, to that failure is okay? That's a, a good one. I think uh, part of it is like being able to try to find a way to let go. Like, you know, in some of the consulting that we do with organizations now, um, even trying to encourage folks who are in leadership positions to you know, I don't want to say walk away with no action items, but to be able to say in a meeting, like you got to delegate, you got to empower your team. Like if you, if you couldn't do anything when this meeting ends, what would you say? What would you do? Like, you know, how do you impart what you want? And that means you got to start coaching your team. Uh, to, I'm a big sports guy. So trying to use sports analogies is something I do a lot. Um, but, you know, in essence, like you can't run out on the field. So if you can't run out on the field as a leader and start playing, what are you doing to coach your team, to prepare your team, to encourage your team, you know, and whether it's motivation, whether it's confidence, whether it's that attention to detail or preparation, um, kind of like, you know, like in a lot of sports, when the game starts, the coach has to shut up and let the players play. Um, you know, so being able to impart whatever wisdom you can and do it in an affirming way uh, where you, once your players, you know, get done with practice and it's game time, they, they can step out there and play with little to no coaching. Mm -hmm. I, I think a big part of it just comes down to empowerment. <laughs> and what, what, what are your favorite sports, Anthony? What, what do you, what do you get into? I, I used to coach a lot of soccer. Uh, I'm a big football fan these days. I, I, I've been a lifelong Pittsburgh Steelers fan and uh, I'm a big fan of Mike Tomlin. Uh, you know, we're going, we're going through a bit of a change right now with our quarterback and uh, whether you were a fan or, or not of Ben, uh, you know, everybody I think is taking a big breath right now and crossing their fingers, hoping that we can continue, uh, you know, some of the success that we've had over the last two decades. But I think it's pretty cool that the Steelers are a, co a, a company, uh, a team that uh, has not had a losing record in something like 18 years, you know, so even though they've only won two Super Bowls, only they've won two Super Bowls in that time, but uh, just they're relevant every year. And it says, it says something about consistency and that attention to detail and, uh, you know, all the things that are, uh, you know, part of that legacy in terms of culture. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty cool organization. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, Mike Tomlin, I mean, just uh, just having the foresight on, on some of these players that people had never heard of before and, and having the ability to, to develop them is, is really kind of where a lot of organizations are today is trying to identify talent early on in the process, develop them, and hopefully they're a Super Bowl quarterback that you got in the sixth round like a Tom Brady, right? right. Uh, <laughs> one well, of the things that uh, I, I, understanding coaching, right, and dealing with a lot of different personalities, how did, I guess, what did you learn from, from creating these teams that has carried over again into what you get to do there as president to really put the people in the right seats as the saying goes? Um, how have you, is it, is it personality types? Is it communication styles? How do you kind of form that team around you that you can enable, but also trust enough to get the job done the way that you would like it to be done or how all of you want it to be done? Right. Well, we talk about a couple of different things. One is we, we talk about being really, really uh, adamant about only hiring people that we think are nines and tens. So, uh, you know, I know that sounds like, you know, well, yeah, everybody tries to hire the best person they can, but I think too often when people have a, a demand um, where they get, you know, they get into a pinch and they go like, look, we just got to find somebody. I can't tell you how many people just say like, you know, just, I just need a warm body or I just need somebody with a pulse or, you know, especially in a tight labor market, people are hurting and you just go, just, just give me anybody. Well, anybody's not going to do if you're trying to build a great organization. You'd never hear a sports team say that. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and secondly, you go like, you know, what is their potential in terms of their ability to grow over time or contribute more over time? Um, we, we talk about nines and tens. Um, and then we try to say there's really three categories that we look at when we try to bring somebody in. We try to look at their technical ability, um, just meaning, you know, whatever position they're being brought in to, to be considered for, how much do they know, how good are they at that? And truthfully, that's probably the least important thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the two things that we really, really focus on are uh, teamwork, chemistry, whatever, you know, just going, what's your character? You know, how, how well do you communicate? How well do you get along with people? Could we put this person, do you see them in front of a client? Um, or even just in some of our internal meetings going like, you know, how does this person interface with other people? Um, are they selfless? Are they humble? Are, you know, do they pay attention to detail? Um, and then the third thing that we look for is versatility. Because if you've got, it's, again, it's just like sports going like this person could be a wide receiver, they could be a tight end, they could be a running back. Like if you can play three or four or five different spots on our team, you know, that adds to your value. It allows us to do things that, you know, we couldn't do if people were maybe less versatile or more one dimensional. So we, we really look for those three attributes and, and then just talk about nines and tens. We can have an interview with somebody and you know, instantly, I, I could not even be there. And one of our people could come out and say, like, we need to hire this person, even though they don't have the right experience or this or that, but they're a nine or a 10. We, we got to get this person on the bus. Um, and, and we all know what that means. Um, and I think to that point, you know, when you think about those three things that way, uh, one of the things that happens too often in our job market is that we think about people um, based off their resume as opposed to their aptitude. Um, meaning what skills are convertible, you know, what are the similarities between what they've done in the past and what you're asking them to, to do now, hoping that they can do it. Um, you know, too often people go like, well, they don't have any experience or they've only got one year or they've only, you know, and you go like that, that doesn't, especially for more entry level positions, you know, take a chance on somebody who's got character and aptitude and, you know, and you talk to different people who know them and they say, say, you know, what a tremendous hard worker they are, or what a great teammate they are. Those are the people that you got to take a chance on because you never know, like you said, that's the sixth rounder that winds up turning into an MVP five years from now. People go like, where did you find that person? You, you found them yes. by 
by giving somebody a shot. You know, some somebody gave me a shot and you a shot. And, yeah. you know, you know, some somebody needs to keep giving other people shots instead of making more hoops for people to jump through. I love that. And, and sometimes we create more barriers to entry and, and, and we try to get people to fit a particular position. But what I'm hearing you say is that you guys have the ability to identify a Le'Veon Bell that the game totally changes for and evolves for, right? Um, based off of their unique skill set, their intellectual capital, their social capital that makes them a nine and 10, um, but also their ability to, to learn new skills and new, 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 new abilities, right? For, for not only themselves, but also for the organization. Um, I love that because I'm, I'm, I'm in the same game as you. I think resumes are silly. Um, I think that uh, I, I have never been hired by a for a position that I had to leave my resume up to chance for an ATS system because a lot of those intangibles, the things that don't show up on paper, you just can't put your finger on. I usually call it, they have it, that it factor. I just can't tell you what and articulate that. But that's how creative that organizations need to be. And I loved your point about just being more intentional, right? About who we're bringing onto our, into our organization. Because I always say it takes years to build these cultures that all these organizations seek. But with a few bad hires, it can take months to just destroy it. So I love those uh, the uh, pieces that you had mentioned, Anthony. Those are very spot on. And I love what you're doing from a talent perspective as, as to how you actually approach that and create that team environment and, and really focus on putting people in the right seats that is more aligned with their strengths. But one of the other things too is to, you know, when, when in doubt, don't hire. Meaning yeah. if you haven't found the nine or the 10 yet, don't hire because all, you know, people go like, well, but I need, you know, you're, you're going to choose which hard you want. Do you want hard extra work because you don't have the, the right person yet or hard because things aren't going well and that person isn't right for that spot and your client's disappointed or there's more handholding involved, you know, just wait, wait and be really, really disciplined about hiring a nine or a 10. Your mm -hmm. team will probably, uh, they want to tear their hair out in the short term and they will probably thank you in the long term because it's about that culture and and that person actually making a contribution and your client will thank you too because exactly. you know no one wants you know to have that experience with, with a poor player so yeah. well just just like you were saying with supply and demand you know i mean look at professional sports when you see how many kids play college sports and then how many people play professional sports the supply and demand right there is that they're only they're only working with a very finite uh, pool of talent um, but they have the ability to really identify it early within the process, like you mentioned that you guys are doing there at Livingston Associates and for, for your clients, and then developing it, I think is key. And a lot of organizations just don't have that process that to your earlier point down to, to really retrain or bring anybody else on and expect them to be profitable at that point, right? And, and really providing that value back. And I, well, my dad always said, good players make good coaches, you know? Um, <laughs> And, and dude, I'm sitting over here and I'm, I'm a recruiter and there's nothing better than when I run into someone with just superb soft skills. You know, it, it, I get on the call with my rep and I'm clapping and I'm like, just push them forward. And they're like, but they don't have this, this and this. So I'm like, I don't care. You know, and all of a sudden they're hired in five minutes and we're doing air fives and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I just get fired up when, when you, like you mentioned, Anthony, when, when it's not all about the resume. It's right. about, and you can feel it, you know, it's, it's, it's when they start talking from their chest, talking from experience rather than their, like their head or their brain yeah. trying to just spit stuff out or, or, or read off the resume to me. You know, it's just like, you know, Tyler, I got it, you know, and it's just, it's just this, this instant trust that I build with people and they build with me. And that's why I get out of bed in the morning, guys, to, to find awesome candidates that I can feel in my chest. Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning, Anthony? I, I always like asking presidents that what, what, 
I mean, you're a president of a company. What can you further do? I mean, especially you, you make your own company better, but why do you get out of bed in the morning? Uh, hands down what you just said, it's the people. I mean, I, I've gone through a lot of different, you know, jobs and even different types of careers. And, uh, you know, I frequently tell people like the rest of the stuff is just stuff, just meaning your equipment, your building, like uh, all the stuff is just stuff. Your, your clients, the relationships that you, it's people, meaning the relationships you have with your, your clients and the relationships that you have with your teammates that you, that you're trying to build your organization is what makes going to work fun every day. And, you know, it sounds you're going to laugh when I say this, Ty, but like, I, I honestly believe that if, if you told me like our company had to completely retool and do something different, and I don't mean like, you know, become a doctor's office, but if you said, hey, you know, we, we got to go into manufacturing or we, we just got to, we got to do something totally different. If you gave our team six months to shut down and figure out how to do that, I bet you we could come out on the other side six months ready to go. <laughs> Yeah, because because of those attributes, like I said, Mm -hmm. they really pay attention to detail. They want to be good technically. They have great teamwork skills and they're super versatile. One of the the things I'm most proud of is the professional humility that our team brings to be able to just go, what's got to get done today? Like maybe it's shovel the sidewalk. Maybe it's take out the garbage. Maybe it's, you know, scan documents and you like, you know, I nobody goes like, well, we have an admin for that. Or that's not my job. Or like, yeah. no, like that's, what's got to get done right now. We, if we want to win, we got to do this. So people have a can do whatever it takes. Like I said, just a lot of professional humility in their approach to their work. And that makes, like I said, who doesn't want to play on a team like that? Yeah. And I think to, to reiterate the, the team part of it and, 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 and we've heard the other side of the coin. It's a, I, I, the other side of, of some business owners and leaders is I sign your paycheck. So you pretty much do what I tell you to do. Um, but you're also saying that the, the other side on the employee side, that's not my job. And, and I feel like people are unwilling to go above and beyond when they don't feel protected, right? Or when they don't feel like family. But you build, building this resilient workforce that you could totally re, reshift and sh- mold or totally change direction of the organization within six months they are only willing to really do that because you've been able to build and establish that trust or that level of trust or that connection. This is a question that Tyler and I ask quite frequently, but it's always fascinating to us both as to how do leaderships develop that level of trust with their employees, because that leads to resilience. And most people chase resilience, um, which is more of an outcome instead of focusing on the necessary inputs to get that desired outcome. So how do you build trust with your teammates, um, which obviously carries over then to your customer base as well? There's a lot of different things that we, I can't put my finger on it and say it's just one thing, but I would say, you know, we talk a lot about uh, being best in class, just meaning wanting wanting to be, wanting to do things well, right? Um, And having some accountability around that. So I'm a big fan of data and analytics and so that it's not, you know, you suck, Kevin. It's, hey, look, just look at the day. I mean, it's just like sports. You go like, look, we're losing. If we're behind. It means something's not going well. So are we just going to go down in flames or are we going to adapt and change and try to overcome? Um, so uh, focusing on the information, you know, one of the things we say a lot is like, we, we usually don't have a people problem. We have a, a process problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's either a, a, bro- a broken piece of the process or there's a failure in communication or whatever, but it's usually not the people. Most people want to win and they're working their butt off to win. It's about wh- where is this breaking down? So it's less emotional it's, and it's more tactical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going along with that is candor. I mean, you've got to be able to speak the truth. And we take a lot of pride as a team in being able to say, just this is what's going on right now, whether it's working or it's not working. It's not a personal attack. It's not, 
you know, who likes who better than who, or, you know, it's none of that. It's just going, here, here's the information. Can you say the hard thing? Can you put the skunk on the table and go like, look, if we don't fix this, if we don't deal with that, then we're not going to win. So we, we yeah. got to, we got to look at that stuff and face it. Uh, we talk a lot about best ideas win. So meaning like anybody can say anything and, and, you know, at, at worst, if you go like, oh, I, that's, I don't want to say that's not a good idea, but like, we don't pursue that. Maybe you didn't understand, but, but saying whatever you said or pitching, whatever you pitch leads to better clarity and best, best cases, you know, like the new guy who just started yesterday actually gives us the, the solution that none of the rest of us saw because we had binders on, yeah. uh, you know, we, we say all the time, like, it's not about being right. It's about getting it right. I love uh, that's something, something that my father said to me from a very, very early age. And it just reflects that, you know, let's find out attitude. You know, uh, it, it's not about ego. It's not about how long you've been here. It's not about what role you're in. It's just, we got to get it right. So we got to listen to all the voices in the room to be able to understand what's best because everybody's got a different perspective. Yeah. Getting it right. Yeah. That's, 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 I mean, that makes all the difference in the world to your earlier point about tenure, about their previous experiences. And that's kind of what we're seeing is this rift that, right. It's like, Oh, I had to work 60 hours a week in order to get partner. And here we are trying to now bring on partners and they're only doing four. They haven't done the hard work that I had to do. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like, well, the world is evolving, right? It's not, it's not the seventies anymore. And now, now we need to change and adapt. But when you focus on getting it right, it's less about their, it, it's less about, um, them, uh, attaching their name to the idea. It's more or less, let's present this idea. Let's talk openly about it and feel sh safe. I think is the biggest thing to share some of those ideas. I think most organizations, uh, as far as a culture perspective, everybody's waiting to be told what to do um, instead of constantly looking for that, that improvement that you're saying, whether it's process, people, technology, whatever it might be. Um, but they have to feel safe in order to share those thoughts and opinions um, with others to, to yeah. collectively get better. Love I think that. one of the things that's really important about that though, is that there's a spectrum, like there's the, you will, and you must, you know, in, in meaning like there's no dialogue, there's no, like it's top down my way, whatever. And then on the other side of the spectrum is, you know, like, well, we have a ton of safety, but nobody ever challenges each other. Mm -hmm. there, there is a very sweet spot in the middle where people can feel safe, but still go, you know, Kev, are you sure that's right? Because, you know, what about this? Or what about, you know, go like, Ty, I know you feel that way, but what about, the, you know, how does that jive with the fact that we see all this in the data? Like, do you have the courage to say that to your teammate and not, you know, and you feel like friendship and that other person feel like they're, they're not threatened that you can have safety, but some of that safety comes from being able to have those conversations and then, you know, go like, okay, cool. We got it right. Or, we, you know, we can agree to disagree or we got to go get more information and come back, but it's not going to ruin the relationship. Yeah. And that, that's why, again, you go back to those three things. And one of them is how good of a teammate are, are you? If you're not a good teammate, you'll use those opportunities to persecute your team or alienate other people or whatever. And that's, that's not a winning formula. You're going to turn people off and then they disengage and then they don't share their ideas and you get it wrong. Yeah. And that's exactly where I was, uh, was going to say, if, if they don't feel listened to, valued, and heard, they're going to stop sharing their opinion. You're not going to get better. You're going to pretty much stay stagnant or status quo as to where you are presently in that snapshot of history. Dude, I love it. And I, I, I was talking to one of those uh, karate guys, those black belt Six Sigma dudes the other day who worked for Toyota. <laughs> and he was like, dude, at Toyota, you, you, you were celebrated if you found a mistake. 
Like they, they had some formula or some way of when you fa- they found a mistake, it was like all hands on deck. You are the man. And then they, they like promote, not, not promoted in, internally, but they just like announced to the whole company about this person finding a mistake. And they, they teamed up with the guy who, who made the mistake to, to celebrate him as well, because they put it all in the process. They don't put it, anything on the people. I was just like, <laughs> no wonder those cars run forever. You know, it's like, you know, and just, just little stuff like that gets me going, you know, cause I've never heard about, you know, I was, I was grew up in the nineties. We didn't celebrate anything when you made a mistake, No, you know, it was like, Oh my goodness, watch out. You know? Um, and, and I, and back to like, I, I want to hit on a little work, work life balance with you, Tony, cause you seem just as competitive as Kevin and I are by you know, all means. Um, and we, Kevin and I, before we got on this call, it's like, if we're not up by 70, we're not breathing, man. It's like, <laughs> you know, and I think that was a total 1990s mindset as well. It's like now, now the gear is shifted and it's like, dude, you can lay off the gas a little bit, you know, but, but you can't. Cause I don't think there's a, a, a thing called neutral in physics. I think you're either floating up or going down, you know, but so Tony, how do you deal with work-life balance and, and, and I guess harnessing a competitive nature so you get some freaking sleep at night, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. It's hard, honestly. Uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you. Like, it's kind of like you, you, uh, you're either growing or you're dying. So like you, you want to keep your, your foot down on the pedal. Um, I think, you know, for starters, I would say, you know, having a great partner, I, I'm blessed to have, you know, a wife that uh, is truly amazing. And so, uh, being married and then having kids on top of that helps you, uh, you know, somebody talked to me about it a few years ago and said, it's kind of like taking a test. Um, like when you're single, like you can just work 24 hours a day if you really wanted to, right? There's no, I mean, I'm not saying you should, but <laughs> like, okay, you're, there's nobody else to be accountable to really. Um, but when you have a spouse or you've got kids or whatever, um, you know, you've got other obligations. So it's kind of like taking a test where they go like, look, you've only got three hours for this exam. And you're like, but I didn't answer all the questions. You're like, doesn't matter. Three hours, pencils down. I got to go. Like, that's it. That's all the time you get. And so, you know, when you've got, you know, whatever, you know, a, a baseball game to get to, or, you know, your kid's dance recital or whatever it is, you go like pencils down. Like I, I, it may not be perfect yet, but I got, I got to go. I got, I got other things that I just got to do. Um, otherwise I'd be failing at another area of my life yeah. that I want to do well at. Um, but just, you know, being around people who, whether it's your teammates at work, who give you permission to go like, we got this, man, it's okay. Uh, you know, take a day, enjoy, or, you know, people at home or whatever, who, who can help you, uh, recognize that it's about the journey, uh, both, you know, in terms of the time you appreciate with them and to go like, you know, again, that candor to go like, are you, you sure you're in balance right now? Because like, yeah. Yeah, you, know, you know, you keep, you know, staying up late or getting up early or, you know, or you seem to be distracted, you know, and not taking enough time for you. And whether that's, like I said, time with family, time to exercise, you know, just you need people in your life who care about you enough to be able to be honest with you and tell yeah. you, you might, you might be getting out of sorts a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. whether you want to hear it or not. Oh, so yeah, I get that one. <laughs> yeah, I get that too. I mean, my wife keeps me very, very grounded and uh, it's, it's a good thing, but um, I think it, it's only because uh, I fought so hard to keep professional world and personal world separated. Right. So very distinct difference between the two kind of, again, that was more generational hand down for my grandfather. You never told him about kids. You never told him you got married because it, you could be transferable. You could go anywhere in the country and now all these companies like that. So um, I love that. And we're, we're really bringing more of our life 
um, less revolving around work, we identified that that family is important. And obviously, having a son myself, you're, you're accountable to a new board of directors. <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to, to I guess, dive into as well um, is really understanding, I guess, what one of the fundamental lessons that you had to learn early on was stepping into that president role um, that you did not know, right? Because um, everybody looking back, 30,000 foot view, we all think we could run any company in the world, right? Better than who's running it presently. Um, but what was one of the lessons that, Tony, you had to really learn early on in this, in this promotion and this new opportunity um, that makes you better today? Um... I think the the need to slow down, just uh, as goofy as that sounds, because I think you rush into a situation or an opportunity, whatever, like this, and you go, you know, hey, this is my chance to, you know, not even make my mark, but, you know, have an impact. And, you know, I hear people talking about things that they'd like to change, and so I want to make them better. Um, and so you you rush in, you know, kind of all full of, you know, adrenaline and, and you know, uh, good, good intention. Um, but, um, a, you know, especially when you're coming from the outside, as opposed to coming from, from inside, you don't necessarily, it takes, it takes time to build the trust that we were talking about, mm -hmm. um, and the relationship with people and to understand the backstory. And I, you know, I'd be the first person to tell you, you know, I, I didn't always get that right. Um, and, and secondly, even if everybody is on board, Sometimes I'd find like the way my mind works um, doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way everybody else's mind works or the speed that they want to go at or whatever. So, you know, if I, I think something could be done in a month, it, it might be six months or a year before that thing could actually happen where every, everybody wants to go along with it and everybody understands why it's important. So um, slowing down. I'm sure you've heard that saying, you know, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you got to go to get, you go together. Um, and if you want to, if you want to go far, if you're in this thing for the long haul, you got to do it with your teammates. So, mm. um, you know, you, you feel a sense of urgency, whether it's like, you know, we need to make more money or we need to minimize our losses or we need to fix something that's broken or satisfy our client. There's all these things that push you to not necessarily have stress, but certainly have a lot of urgency about what needs yeah. to get done. And that forces you to sometimes appear to be moving faster and be less patient and everything else. And that's a turnoff for people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I said, I, I'm not saying I'm not guilty of it myself. I think that's the, that's one of the things that, that hopefully I've learned and, and gotten a little better at over the last few years that uh, it's okay to slow down and take a breath and recognize you're not going to, you're not going to change everything overnight. And that doesn't mean you're not passionate or enthusiastic about, you know, being committed to whatever your goal is, but if you burn the house down along the way, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think you, you know, you, you overshot, you know, yeah. you, you missed the target, so to speak. So, you know, be, being able to slow down and, and bring people with you. And yeah. like I said, easier said than done. I'm sure I'm, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. Yeah, definitely. Well, and sometimes you feel like some of these uh, positions, just like other people get identified as job jumpers now every two years, same can be said for a lot of the C-suite, right? And, and some of these stats that you're talking about, these, these quick changes, it's almost boosting their own resume or the back of their uh, score uh, baseball card, right? Their stats for that year. And it's almost like this is how they prove that they can go to other companies and do similar things. Um, but if I'm hearing you correctly, that's a short-term win for, for an, a lot of long-term so, solution or strategy that's uh, going to be effective. But I love how you kind of share just you, you want to make a lot of these changes, but you have to develop the credibility, establish the trust, and build those 
vital internal relationships that could make your life hell or great, uh, depending on, on how you effectively talk and communicate those changes. And more importantly, I think when you shared about knowing the history, then you can know more about the why and how to communicate that as, as why you're moving in a certain direction. Dude, I love it. And Anthony, you keep saying the word relationships, man. And I always used to read that word. And, you know, I, I never understood it until I met Kevin over here. You know, I, I remember, I'll never forget, I was trying to get into this daggum law firm up there when I worked at Bright. And Kevin's like, oh, I know the IT manager over there. And I'm like, well, well what's that going to do, you know? Uh, and I emailed the guy with Kevin's name in it, with the Kevin with the Y. The guy got on my calendar and booked a meeting with me. And I was just <laughs> like, you have my attention, Kevin. Like, okay, I, everything I'm reading this Man, with connections, Kevin, love it. Yeah, it was, and, and, and I had to feel it, right? I, I read it so many times, heard so many whizzes on, on LinkedIn talk about it. I'm sitting over there in Victor, New York, thinking about my Emil's sub I'm going to get. It's just trying to make relationships <laughs> on, a, on a cold call, you know? I'll never forget, I do, after that day, I Googled where to find people in Rochester, New York, because I, I learned something that day. Um, do you have any experiences like that, Anthony, on, on when it hits you, when, when relationships really do matter? Yeah, like I said, I think I've always had that from my father. Uh, it was this really weird uh, dichotomy, so to speak, of, you know, like, on the one hand, he was always talking about, like, you have to be prepared, you have to analyze stuff, you have to have attention to detail. Um, but then on the other hand, it's like, you got to have these relationships with people. Um, and you got to treat people well, because both come into play, you know, the relationship, you know, my dad, my dad said to me one day when I was little, there was an issue at work. And, you know, like I said, I was going to work with my dad, but he said, you know, you're, you may have gotten an opportunity here because of your last name, but whatever you make of it is because of your first name, you know, just meaning like, you know, okay, I got you in the door, but eventually, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta show it. Right. Um, you know, and I think, uh, just the power of relationships to go like that will open the door, but then going on the flip side, you, you, you got to be able to play at some point and show people what you're, what you got, you know, and my, one of, one of the things he always used to say too, is you're always interviewing for your next job, whether you know it or not, <laughs> just being, because, because that's the, that's the point. Like would Kevin actually go to bat and tell somebody something great about you if he didn't think he, he knew what you had and what you were capable of, you know, that's why you vouch for somebody and go like, you know, man, you, you just got to get this guy a chance or this, this woman, a chance. you get, you got to get this person in here and talk to him because they're awesome. But you don't you don't vouch for somebody like that unless you've shown them you got what it takes. So exactly, you know. But but that happens all the time. You know, we talk about it here in terms of interviewing. Uh, we talk about it as our friends and family network. So meaning like we have our process that we you know go through. But if somebody you know kind of comes in and says like, hey, I know this is an outlier or you know this person may not fit or whatever, but you know I got this person who might be interested. Doesn't necessarily mean it works out. But we always if, if you're basically telling us. I think this person is a nine or a 10. I don't know where they fit yet, but mm -hmm. can somebody have a cup of coffee with this person? Yeah, heck yeah, we will. We will, because we're going to try to figure out where we can squeeze them in because we're always, it's it's a war for talent. How do you get the yeah. best team together? You got you to turn over every stone. If somebody's actually going to bring you a nine or a 10, yeah, I, I think I can make an hour for that. So. Well, exactly. Especially the, the nines and tens aren't uh, typically the ones uh, looking for work all the time either. So the, these right. are the passively looking candidates that you're trying to find before they make that move or that change. And and yeah, I think relationships pay off tenfold, right? I, I, I graduated in 2012 and I did not know anybody. So I had the luxury of shining rich guy's shoes, right? In a, in a country club, right? And I, but I quickly learned how important these relationships were. And I was sad that I didn't prioritize that right as college and, and, and growing up. Um, 
but but seeing it now, um, and especially here in Rochester, I think we see it abundantly clear of just how powerful that really is. But one of the things, Tony, is that uh, Tyler and I talk about it as well very frequently is that we always ask the first question about what the person does, not who the person is. And 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 really, I guess, what are, what are some of your favorite questions to ask people as you're trying to really get to know who they are? I mean, as, as you're looking to, because my dad talks about the 10 questions that he's got rolled up in his drawer for every interview he's had for the last 30 years. Those are the same 10 questions. Uh, <laughs> but I got to ask you, like, what are some of the questions that you really get asked to really get to know who you're talking with and to, um, to really establish that trust um, and, and that ability to potentially identify some of their strengths? Um, so there's, there's a few different, you know, I like asking people about uh, how they deal with conflict. Um, just go, you know, all of us have challenge, whether it's deadlines or, you know, demanding clients or, you know, whatever, maybe it's a, with a coworker or, you know, whatever, but you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, all of us have stress at work. So how do you deal with that? Can you tell me about a few scenarios where, you know, you uh, were faced with this challenge and then how did you resolve it without, you know, the whole thing blowing up. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also like to find out a lot about what lights people up. Um just meaning, you know, again, when we talk about it, it's not your, it's not your years of experience. It's going like, it's the skills that you bring. And, you know, if you could, it's again, like sports going like, Hey, if you could play one position, what position would you want to play? Because if we let you play that position, you know, we don't have to worry about your motivation or anything else. You're, you're going to probably, you know, bring your best self to work if we let you do the things that you want to do all the time. So asking them and letting them have some say in, uh, you know, what needs to be done uh, or what they get to do, um, you know, and finding that balance act because the work's got to get done. But if you can put people in a position to do the part of the work that they like the best, that's, that's really important. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. More finding those where your strengths are and stop, stop attack. Most people are in positions where they're in their weakness bucket um, that they realize. And that's why they're exhausted at the end of the day, not knowing why they're so exhausted from what they've just done. It's when you're placating to those weaknesses, more than your strengths, it's it's hard to understand how you are adding value too, um, and, and yeah. how rewarding really is that to the individual. I also like to make a lot of room Kev, for them to ask us questions, um, whether that's you know how much do you know about our company because that might demonstrate some attention to detail. Um, I'm always really impressed when people go like, well, I looked at this and I saw that, and I know so and so who works at you, and you're like, wow, like you you did some research, and that's that. You know, I, I would be impressed with that as a client, so you know I'm I'm happy to see that. But also some of the questions that they ask really uh, are indicative of how their mind works and, you know, and what's important to them. So, you know, one of the, the things that uh, we see with a lot of the clients that we help is that they'll get into an interview and they'll do, you know, if it's an hour long, they do 55 minutes worth of talking. And so the only thing you've learned at the end of that hour is that this person is actually willing to listen to you for 55 minutes, um, you know, and you didn't learn anything about them. So it's like, how, how do you have a conversation, but be a good conversationalist so that you, you get to know them. And obviously you want to answer their questions. So they need to get to know you, but, um, you know, creating a, an atmosphere where they can contribute. And mm-hmm. so you can learn something about them and go like, is this somebody, you know, while they're talking, part of it is what are they saying? And part of it is just going, you know, if we're not talking about this and we're talking about a work issue, could I, could I see this person contributing on our team? Yeah. Yeah. How, how, they, how they're asking questions, presenting, telling stories, et cetera, is a really 
really important. And that position, that power position, right? And, and, and this is what I talk about too, is, is that power position, right? Is, is the before the company was really in a power position. So the 55 minutes with giving the other person five, that was customary, right? That was normal. Um, but that has changed, right? And now keeping it an open dialogue in a lot of cases, and Tyler kind of probably attests to this too, is they're asking more questions than the, the, the person in the interview, right? Um, they're asking the company more questions to really identify what, what are you doing? What aren't you doing? Why are you getting better? How do you get better? All these different types of questions that some of these people just aren't armed for because it's just a very uncomfortable position that we really haven't been in before. So I love kind of the degree and depth that you're going with these individuals to, to really just understand, well, what do you want? What are your strengths? What would be that dream position for you? And let's see if we can make that happen. Um, really, really cool. I, I, that's, that's, that's great to hear, Tony. And I love, I love arming my candidates a lot, you know, with, with, you're the pro here, dude. Yeah. Like yeah. you're, you're the business process analyst. It's worked for A, B, C, and D. You go in there and you tell me if you want to work for them, you know, don't let them conduct any of this dude. And people are like, man, I've never thought of it that way. I'm like, well, you should, you know, you're on your 22nd year of this and you're probably going to be interviewed by someone in HR, not even in a business analyst position, you know, and it's just cool to, to, to give those people the confidence and, and to see people grow in such a short time. And I think it, I think if we keep it simple, right, Tony? You you hire nines and tens, you're you're able to get out of the out of your the way. Then it's like that's when you, you empower them. But you don't have to be nervous if you got the nines and tens coming in. Just like the Orlando Magic always getting this first round draft, first pick overall. Man, I think they've got the first pick in the last uh, I don't know over 15 years or something. Number one pick, man. Let, let's let's make it count and get out of their way. Right. Uh, but I had a, a really important question to ask you, Tony. Um, I, I was looking through your, your, uh, your resume and did you guys beat Aquinas your senior year of high school in, in whatever sport you played? We actually beat, uh, it, it wasn't Aquinas, as you know, is an eternal rival for us. And, you know, I, I can't even tell, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and literally like they went out of their way just to make a McQuaid joke just because they were from Aquinas. And it, it just, like I said, it'll never die. Um, <laughs> But back back then, playing soccer, my senior year, Menden was the big, uh, the big powerhouse in soccer, and uh, I think they won states that year. And I think they only had one loss, and it was to us. And we, you know, we did not win sectionals that year, but we uh, that that was like our big claim to fame. It was like, okay, if we couldn't win sectionals, we can at least say, you know, the only loss to the state champ, the state champ's head was to us. So. <laughs> you, take, you take what you can get and work that's with a it. nice feather in the cap I, I would take that within that Absolutely. season for sure <laughs> and real quick tony on the nines and tens tony i gotta go back to this so yeah. it's sometimes it's easy to get them let's just say that but i don't think it's easy to keep them right like how, how are you keeping your nines and tens uh focused and wanting to work for you still um, I think uh, I agree with you, but, and I, I do think to a certain degree, by the way, like you can, you can make nines and tens. It's really about like where somebody is in their career. You know, if you're hiring somebody who's 22, 23, 24, they may not even know they're a nine or a 10 yet. They don't know what's within them. So you, you got to invest in them. And that's, it's part of why we talk about like the character and the teamwork and, and that, that kind of stuff, the intangibles. Um, but once you, once you've got them, I agree with you. Like it's, it's a war for talent. You gotta, you gotta differentiate yourself and be best in class. If you're going to try to keep those people. So what do you do? I mean, I think you gotta, you gotta let your players play, so to speak. You know, you can't micromanage nines and tens. In fact, for us, it's the opposite. We talk about the people who are, um, you know, it more and more as you get into a leadership position, the people who are nines and tens are the closest to the action and they understand what's going on. So I frequently tell people like, 
you know, I know, first of all, I hate the word boss. I, I cringe when I hear it. Like, and I tell people as much as I can to go out of my way to please don't call me that. Like teammate is the word that I prefer to, you know, you don't work for me and I don't work for you. Like it, it, we're teammates. It doesn't matter. Yes, we have different roles to play, but we're in this thing together. So my role is really to support them. They don't work for me. I work for them in the sense that like, if you see what's going on and you can come in and go like, Hey, we could get more business if we do this, or our client would be happier if we did that, or we could save money. You go like, those are the things that I want to hear from our nines and tens. And they want, they want to contribute. So they want to not only bring that to the table, but actually see something's going to get done about it. So if I do walk out, we were just talking about empowering and action items and not micromanaging. So I try really hard to not walk out of a meeting with action items that are about doing the work, right? Going like, hey, if we hired you to be our HR director or our, you know, our director of fleet management or what, like, then you're that's your that's your thing, man. That's your jam, and you're accountable for that, and you're in charge of it, and you get to be, you know, you get all the glory if it goes well, right? Because you're, you know, you know that you're, and our people are really hard on themselves too. So like, you don't need to be criticized by me. They're gonna be more hard on themselves than I could ever be. Uh, and that's, again, a quality of a nine or a 10. They, they have their own standard for what excellence is. So when you let them contribute and they and you let them have a, 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 a say or you know a guiding force in where this thing is going, if I do walk out with action items, it's the things that they need me to do that I can maybe uniquely do in my position, whether that's maybe we need more capital, maybe it's an introduction like we were talking about with relationships, maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, getting somebody else in the room, maybe it's, uh, you know, finding another resource or buying a piece of equipment, like whatever it is, like, if that's the part that I got to walk out with, I get that. That's my role in serving you to build that part of our company to be better every day. Um uh, but it's 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 on its head. Like you, you got to let nines and tens play and you got to listen to them and then take, like I said, they're the closest to the action. And if they know what's going on, you know, you can you can be right, but you're not going to get it right. You know, you got to listen to your nines and tens. They probably know what's best to do in the organization. And I think you're just continuously curious as to what are those barriers? How, why aren't you as efficient as you should or could be? That's a really, really good point, Kev, because until there's trust, a lot of those questions that you ask, leaders are usually naturally curious. Those questions get interpreted as like, pick, 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 yes. like I'm criticizing, I don't believe in you. And, and I've had to actually kind of stop sometimes, especially when it's somebody new and go like, I, I want to be really clear. Like, yeah. you know, you're the person, this is your show. Like I'm asking because- a, I want to support you. B, I'm naturally curious. Like, I'm just, I'm just trying to get data so that I understand what you do and how you could do it better, or what else I could do to support you. Like, I, I just want information because I'm curious and I want to see us win. So, help me explain that. And I think as a younger, or help, help me understand that. And as a young person, you know, I, I would say, you know, if you guys were anything like me, again, going to work with my dad, I was surrounded by people that are older than me, that are more mm -hmm. experienced than me. I never asked a lot of questions because I thought everybody would think, I don't know what I'm doing. And now I look back and go like, nobody thought I knew what I was doing anyway. <laughs> I was 20 years old. Right? So, and, I, and I probably ask, meaning you just go, you put all this pressure on yourself and you go like, now, like if I'm I'm in my late forties to look at somebody who's 20, I, I don't go like, gosh, the whole company's riding on what you say, Kev. Like, what do you think yeah. we should be like? Nobody cares, right? Yeah. So ask a million questions. If anything, it makes you 
uh, makes them go like, wow, this person really cares and they're engaged yeah. and want to get better. I probably ask more questions today, 10 times more questions today than I did 20 years ago. Yeah. I, I've, I've always been that I've always asked uh, others, right? Because that wisdom, right? That wisdom that we always refer to, those are experiences that they've had, lessons they have learned and why make those same mistakes. Now, I can't say I wasn't learning my uh, lesson the hard way growing up, but uh, here later in life, I had an epiphany that uh, you don't always have to do that. So you can actually <laughs> get advice from others and, and take it and, and find value in it and make it your own and, and learn from your own lesson. The last question I wanted to ask, because it kind of touched on what Tyler talked about. I talked about how Tyler helped me with, with this particular um, uh, issue, um, but also kind of back to the nines and tens, Tony. Um, I found that nines and tens sometimes do not even know that they're nines and tens yet, right? And identifying their, their honestly, their differentiators, their strengths, their actual true potential. Um, and this is something that I talk about frequently, openly about Tyler and really finding that social board of directors as, as we refer to it to really help us. How do you, it, it, I, obviously the other piece I wanted to say is you, you have now found and put a value on yourself as well. Um, just to Tyler's earlier point, kind of coaching that individual, I think all he did was show him his value and how it's valuable and why it would be appreciated. How do you help your team and, and maybe some of these nines and tens that do not know it, but you know it, how do you help them find uh, their value? Um, and, and identify how they help Livingston associates or just themselves get better. I think um, it's, it's such a good, good point that has to be made that, especially when you're dealing with young people and trying to help them. But even, even that, like somebody who might have 25 years of experience who comes in, doesn't know if they're doing it well for your organization. So whenever somebody's new or new, new in their career or new to your organization in particular, um, be, being able to show them um, what they did well and why why it was impactful and, and correlate their effort to a result, whether that's a happy client or money saved or time saved or whatever, you know, to be able to show them that and celebrate it. And, you know, and truthfully, like I um, I know that a lot of people try to do that in a very public way. Um, you know, we talked about why people stay and, um, you know, and, and how, how do you... Uh, how do you make them feel like they're a part of the organization or they're valued and, you know, and, and uh, keep your team close. The, the best way that I've found is to do that quietly one-on-one, -on -one. you know, if you can put your arm around somebody figure, you know, figuratively speaking, just you get a minute alone with them and you go like, what you did was awesome. That, that was, that thing was the difference. And you couldn't have done that a month ago or a year ago. Like you're growing, you're improving. Like you, you said it before Ty. And I think it's, it's such an important thing to say if you're coaching your team is that, so many people walk around playing CYA all the time going like, I just, I'm going to get blamed for stuff. And I just got to make sure nobody thinks this is my fault. And we try to emphasize all the time, like, you're not the problem. You're the solution. You, we're trying to bring you in to be the hero. We know that it's not where it should be yet. We know that we're trying to grow this or that it's broken or like what you're, you're not getting the blame. You're getting the, you're getting the glory of this thing goes well. I didn't bring you in to and put you, give you the assignment so that we could go like, see, I told you he screwed it all up. We, we knew it was screwed up before we're bringing you in to be the hero and, and giving them that, you know, whatever you want to call it, that courage, that motivation, that support, that trust going like, I'm in your corner. I'm trying to help you win here. Like, I think, we, we gave this to you because we think you're the one that, who can do it. Go yeah. slay the dragon, you know? Yeah. Um, that's that's a super important, th so it, whether it's like on the encouragement side or on the, you just did it and you gotta, you gotta grab that person. I like doing it one-on-one -on -one because it's more, 
in yeah. you know what I mean you're going like I'm not just doing this for show in front right. of a bunch of yeah. people where we're glad handing each other it's going like you you in that moment just now did something that was really hard or really great and it yeah. made the difference for us if you if you keep doing that we're going to win a lot more games and I think it's just because you're taking that time to out of your day and everybody knows how valuable a CEO or a president's uh, day is, right? And how valuable their time is. I think it's just you taking that time, whether it's five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, um, just to take that pause and, and, and show that they are valuable. But uh, yeah, to Tyler's earlier point, I have imposter syndrome um, out the yin yang myself, um, but finding people that can coach that almost out of you, right? And, and to say that it's okay and and not everybody has these ideas and this is what's different. It's, it's very, very helpful to, to understand how you're, how you add value, right. And how you can, to your earlier point, make a difference every day. But I just want to say, thank you so much, Tony, for uh, finally getting on this show. No, <laughs> but I really just want to say thank you so much for spending an hour of your time with us today on this interview. Um, love a lot of the insights that you had shared with us. I have a, a pages of notes per usual after all these conversations Tyler let me know before the show that he's all digital now. So he's saving trees. I unfortunately am still killing them. With my notes. I, I cannot get away from the pen and pad. Um, but I uh, just want to say thank you again so much, Tony, for, for everything that you're doing here in our community, but also uh, what you shared with us today and as tangible takeaways that we can start uh, applying to, to our day jobs and, and our home life. Thank you. It's an honor to be on, especially knowing all the other uh, incredible guests you've had in the past and just appreciate what you guys are doing. The, the show is an awesome value. Like I said, when, no matter how many likes or whatever else you get, you know, um, people are watching and, it, you know, I, like I said, I've had a lot of gratitude for listening to some of the other people who have done this and, and really walked away with some great insights. So appreciate you guys doing this for the community. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Tony. Nice to meet you. <laughs>